0: Everyone, if you have your uh, Bible, please open it to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. The internet is filled with a lot of information, and I'm sure most of you like, that's good Captain Obvious, but some of that information is useful some of it is useless. And when you come across some useful information that speaks to your interests, that speaks to your lifestyle or your situation, you usually bookmark that website. I know I do. You bookmark that website because you want to be able to get to that information easily when you need it. Whenever you need to go and read that website or get the information, you want to be able to pull down that bookmark and click on it without much surfing on the web. And this summer, I have given you several faith bookmarks, many of them, bookmarks that that I hope you will continue to go back to. Each of these bookmarks are are intended to help you embrace the fatherhood of God, each and every one of them. Please understand that, that God's fatherhood is important, very, very important for your walk. As J.L. Packer says, I've read this quote before, but I love it. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. If this is not the thought that prompts your worship, your prayers, your whole outlook on life, then you don't understand your faith very well at all. So what are these bookmarks of God's fatherhood? First, we saw that God the Father is both personal and majestic. He is the father to Black sheep, sons and daughters. He is the father of sons and daughters who are goody two-shoes because they're self-righteous. And fourthly, he is the father who blesses all of his sons and daughters. And now this morning we're going to begin looking at the final bookmark, the fifth one. For this one is, is, is very important. You've got to embrace this bookmark in order to embrace the fatherhood of God as well. That means God is a father who also disciplines. He is a father who also disciplines. The Lord God disciplines his sons and daughters. And if you have your Bible, open it to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from for sin of such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as we come again to your truth, I, I pray that your spirit, Father, would move. I pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would come and and take these words that, 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 that will be preached today and apply them to my heart and apply them to the hearts of everyone that's here. I truly believe, Lord, that if the Spirit doesn't move, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Lives are not changed. People are not convicted if the Spirit of God does not move in them. So, Spirit, I pray that you will come and fill this place with your presence. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You're mean, Daddy. Those are the words that come from the mouth of my four-year-old son as he reluctantly receives discipline. For he's not a willing participant in the process. And my discipline is uh, as, seen, seen as an expression of my meanness in his little four-year-old mind. But is that true? No, it's not true. So, so I'm, happy to, I'm, I'm happy to disciple him to see that fatherly discipline is not an expression of, of meanness, though at times I can be mean and impatient, but fatherly discipline, when it's done rightly, is actually an expression of my love for him. Not my lack of it. And I told him last week, I said, it's because I love you that I don't allow you to talk to me any kind of way. It's because I love you that I correct you when you step out of line. At the time of the discipline, I'm still mean. But his view of me in those moments don't change my view of him. He is still my son in whom I love. And likewise, that that there are going to be moments... In your life, when you, yourself, when you yourself question the goodness of God, there will be moments. You're going to face certain challenges, hardships, that lead you to ask these questions. Why does God hate me? Why is he punishing me? Is he really, really on my side? Some of you will sit at a table of consequences for your sins that you don't think you deserve. And you're going to say to the Lord God, you're mean, Daddy. You're just mean. Now, you might not own up to these responses here because, you know, we all put on our happy face. But trust me, when life and hardships and struggles become a 500-pound monkey on your back, you will begin to ask such questions you will ask them, is God really on my side? Is God really, really good? Or is he just mean? So the challenge for us, for you and myself, is is that we have to grow into a healthy view of the Lord's divine discipline. His divine discipline is fatherly in nature. But in order for us to embrace it as such, we must see it through Jesus. You have to see it through Christ. Jesus must be the lens you look through. Or as you young people may think, you must follow Jesus on Twitter or Instagram to get a proper view of fatherly discipline. And looking at Jesus is your first step to walking into a healthy view of God's discipline. Your eyes must be fixed upon him. The author points us to Christ twice in verses 2 and 3. He says, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. In verse 2 he says, look to Jesus. To look here means you fix your attention upon something. If you turn your eyes away from other things. You fix them on something else or someone else. My daughter is playing soccer this year. And, and, and right now the, the coach has been teaching them how to play defense and soccer. And he says, you, know, you want to stay in front of the player and you also want to keep your eyes on the ball. The coach told them, I don't care what kind of moves the player is making with his feet, watch the ball. Do not take your eyes off the ball on defense. And the same is true in this life. I don't care what kind of moves this life puts on you. I don't care if life crosses you over. Keep your eyes on the ball. And that's Jesus. The question is, do we? Where are you? Really, where are you? Where are your eyes? Where are they fixed upon? They should be fixed upon Jesus. The author also communicates the same idea in verse 3, but it will a little different. He says, consider Jesus. Here the author is more direct. He, He gives a command, not a suggestion. He wants you to consider Jesus carefully. That's what it means in the Greek. Consider him carefully. Don't be lazy. Don't be half-hearted. Don't consider him with indifference. Not with an I don't care attitude. Consider him carefully. Be intentional. Be urgent. This requires you to slow down and, and take a break from our quick and instant society. Because that's the culture that we live in. We're quick, we're instant, we want things now. But the author of Hebrews wants you to slow down. Look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. To consider him carefully means you give thought and reason to him. Question. Does the impulse buyer give careful thought before they buy anything? Do they think about it? No, they just go buy Don't approach Jesus that way. Look at him carefully. Consider him carefully. The author wants you to consider him and to look at him with both your heart and your mind. He wants both of them to be fully engaged. Now, why Jesus? Why does he want you to look at Jesus? And What's the big deal? In verse 2 he tells us, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who else are you going to look at? It means Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, you can't have faith. Apart from Jesus, you can't be in the right relationship with God. Without Jesus, there's no hope for salvation. There's no passageway into heaven apart from him. Everything about Christianity, everything about our faith is permanently saved see it in, in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Everything. Everything. Is see men in him. And the author tells us this in the, in the first chapter of the book. He says, long ago, at many times, and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His son. That is Jesus whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I should have some amens right now. I don't know why I'm not having any amens right now. And after making purifications for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand, majesty on high have it become as as more superior to the angels and a name that has a, that, is, that the name that he has is above their name do you see Jesus? are you looking at him? are you considering him? God the Father has has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and everything under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? If not, you can. And if you have, continue to keep your eyes fixed upon him. Jesus is superior to all. He's the beginning and the end. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who struggles with DWI? Have you ever heard of that before? DWI, driving while intoxicated. I stole that. It's not mine. I wish I came up with that. <laughs> Many of us are guilty of sending out that quick text message while driving, or at least reading one. But DWI is extremely dangerous. Why? Because it causes you to lose focus on what you're supposed to be doing. It's a distraction. Your eyes are supposed to be fixed on the road but text messaging pulls them away. And it only takes a few seconds for one quick text to turn into a quick big wreck. And in your walk with Jesus there are going to be people. There are going to be places. There are going to be things that takes your eyes away from him. And some of you may be there right now. Certain addictions, certain sin struggles. And just like DWI, you're going to get distracted. You're going to lose focus. Your eyes will be pulled away. You're going to be tempted to live life without Jesus. And when Jesus is not in the equation of your life, it's hard to make sense of this life as a believer. Particularly when it comes to your trials and hardships. Particularly when it comes to God's fatherly discipline. If you're living life right now like Jesus, when life gets hard for you, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to have answers. You're going to say things like, God is hating me. God is a hater. God has been mean. Why is he punishing me? Why can't I get ahead? That's what you were saying. So where are you? What are you looking at? What are you considering? What are you leaning on? Will you look at Jesus? Looking at Jesus is the first step to walking in a healthy view of God's discipline. But now the author wants you to look at something in particular when it comes to Jesus. Not the, you know, that Jesus picture that that we see in the Christian bookstores. He wants you to look at and consider his endurance with both your heart and mind. The term endurance means to bear up despite difficulty and hardship. It means you don't give up. Think about athletes, soccer players, basketball players, or runners. They have to have endurance to make it through that race or game. Because if they don't, they're not going to make it. Trust me, I'm in practicing with four-year-olds in soccer. They wear me out. You gotta have endurance to keep up with those four-year-old kids, and they're all boys too. Endurance keeps you moving when you're tired. It keeps you going despite hardships and difficulties. Jesus had endurance. The big difference is that what Jesus endured is of great benefit to you. He didn't endure a tough game or a hard run. Jesus endured great. Are you looking at it? Are you considering it? Or is it just something that happened back in the past? His endurance in the face of this suffering, it points you to his earthly life. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus endured the shame of the cross and hostility from sinners. Look at his shame. Consider the hostility against him. Verse 2 and 3 says, I get verse 2 and 3. He says, look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sin and such hostility against him that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Jesus endured hostility against, from sinners. Many of you read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus faced a lot of opposition in his earthly ministry. He didn't have a lot of friends. He had a lot of people that was acquaintances that followed him, but he also had a lot of enemies. People who spoke evil against him. And the Gospel tells us that, that Jesus came to, this, came to his own people and they did not receive him. He came to his own and his own rejected him. They were hostile toward him. He was despised by men. He was oppressed, beaten, afflicted. And yet through all that suffering, he endured it. He continued with his mission despite the insults, the rejection, the criticism, the persecution. In Jesus' final hours on earth, did you know that he was betrayed by one of his disciples? The disciple who was with him the whole time on in this earthly ministry, he betrayed Jesus and he betrayed him with a kiss. Not the type of kiss you think about, man. He betrayed him with a kiss. He betrayed him with a kiss. It says Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And he was arrested by a, a band of soldiers and the officers of the Jews. And they led him to the high priest. They took Jesus to this council. He was on trial. If you know someone that got a a bogus trial, Jesus knows what it's like to get a bogus trial. He knows what it's like to have charges thrown against you that was made up. Oh, he knows. He knows how to judge the system against you. He knows what it's like to have your friends abandon you when you need them. To say, I'm not with him. Oh, no. I'm not with that guy. He knows what it's like to be alone. And he knows what it's like to, to be beaten. He knows what it's like to, to stand be, before a group of people and to say crucify him. Knowing he didn't do anything wrong. He knows what it's like to see a guilty man be set free. While he goes to a cross and did nothing wrong. He knows. And we know that in the end, that trial that Jesus went through, it didn't go his way. He was sentenced to death by crucifixion. Death by crucifixion. A shameful death. And Jesus' enemies thought they had won. They thought they had got over. They thought they had defeated him. But his death, his death was part of the plan. It was part of his mission. Verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, that is pointing to something future. Because Jesus knew that what was going to come out to the cross was going to be glorification. And verse two, 2 points us to the bigger picture. Verse 3 focuses on humanity's role, but verse 2 is pointing us to the big picture. It's showing us that God the Father had a role in Jesus' suffering. It was not just by accident. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom, about whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the Father's plan for dealing with your sins. Again, look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, Curse is anyone that hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree. He hung on a tree. And on that tree, he took the curse upon himself. He took the shame upon himself. And please know, this curse and this shame is what comes from your sins. Your sins. Your real sins. Your addictions, your pride, your self-righteousness, your idols. All he bore on the cross was for you. For you. Jesus paid a penalty for it all. So again, I tell you, look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. You see, Jesus was not sentenced to death. So you can read through the Gospels and think he was just sentenced to death. He was sentenced to die. No, Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice. And he willingly offered himself up. Remember what he said? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I got the power to take it up again. So please know, he sacrificed himself for you. Let's go no, That cross was meant for you. That shame was meant for you. That curse was meant for you. But Jesus was your substitute. And again, I should have some amens. He was your substitute. Your sacrificial substitute who dies in your place to set you free from sin. And not just that, he takes away God's wrath from you. He takes it away because you need to realize if you're lost in your sins, you're God's enemy. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good your life looks. If you're lost in your sins, you're God's enemy and you're under his wrath. And in the end, if you don't have faith in Christ, you're going you're, you're gonna to be convicted, sentenced to death. I ain't trying to scare anybody. I'm just preaching you the truth. But Jesus came to set you free. But the question is, will you come? And you won't come until the Holy Spirit draws you in. Because remember, Jesus died for enemies. He did not die for friends. He died for enemies. Not his friends. Not his boys, not his crew, not his entourage. He died for his enemies. Look at Jesus. Do you see him differently now? Do you consider him differently now? Because no, the enemy was you. Or the enemy is you. For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. The joy set before him, it, it points to his glorification. His glorification happened at the resurrection. And when he ascended into heaven... This means the victory belongs to Jesus alone. It's his. Even right now as I preach, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father All right now, still interceding for his people, still making intercession for you. Is that wonderful? Is that awesome? So if you don't have same faith in Jesus, You can. Because what? He longs to make intercession for you as well. But will you come? Jesus has completely changed the way God the Father deals with your sin as a believer. Completely changed. They completely changed the whole game. This means as a believer, God does not punish you for your sins. He does not deliver judgment blows upon your head for your sins. He does not pour out his wrath upon you for your sins. He doesn't seek vengeance or retribution over you for your sins. Why? Because divine punishment and divine judgment were poured out on Christ on the cross. So that means as you struggle with sin now, you don't get punishment, you get discipline. And only through looking at it through Christ will you see it that way. Because if Jesus is not in the equation, all you see is God is punishing me. God is hating on me. God is judging me. But if you see it through Christ, you know he already punished Christ for my sins. He already convicted him for my sins. So it can't be judgment. It must be fatherly discipline. Fatherly discipline. But do you see it that way? Samuel Bolton says Christ endured the great shower of wrath the blight and dismal hours of, of displeasure of sin that which falls upon us and that which falls upon us is a sunshine shower, warmth but wet wet with the warmth of his love to make us fruitful and humble. The believer that which the believer suffers for sin is not to justice But it's actually fatherly love. It's medicine, not punishment. It's chastisement, not sentence. It's correction, not condemnation. Think about that. Fatherly discipline, fatherly love is medicine for you. It's chastisement, it's correction. It's not punishment, it's not sentence. And it's definitely not condemnation. Because Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brings you peace. And with his stripes you're healed. Looking at Jesus, and it helps you to grow, helps you not to grow weary and faint hearted. It helps you not to live life thinking God hates you. When you suffer with trials and hardships and sins and we don't have it all together. Only through Christ can you go through life knowing that God is on your side no matter what you go through. Even when life is hard or the bills are not getting paid, that doesn't mean God hates you. It doesn't mean he has abandoned you. Looking at Christ helps you not to live thinking God is punishing you because you have to deal with tough consequences for your sins. Please know that. Certain sins come with certain consequences. But it doesn't mean God hates you. He still loves you. It helps you not to say, you're mean, Daddy. It helps you not to say, you're mean, Daddy. And only by looking at and considering the endurance of Christ can you walk into a healthy view of God's discipline. And we're going to talk about that next week. But you have to get this point first. Because if you ain't looking at it through Jesus, you ain't going to like nothing I say next week. First things first, it's always Christ. Always Christ. So again, will you look at him? Will you consider him? Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ, Lord, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And so my prayer for each of us, Lord, that Jesus will become bigger, brighter, than anything else. Help us to know that that your grace is greater than our sin. Help us to know that, yes, you discipline us, but you do it in love for our good. Show us the ways in which we have taken our eyes off Christ. Show us the things that we have, we're focusing on that does not give us life but pull us farther away from you. Our hearts are truly an idol factory. It'll latch on to a pair of shoes if it can get glory from it. So Lord, show us our sin, show us our idols so that we can repent of it. And Holy Spirit, we can't forget about you. We desperately, desperately need you to move us closer to Jesus. And I pray that you would do it, not for our glory, but for the glory of him who is right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father, still interceding on all of our behalf. And in Christ's name I pray, amen.